Welcome back to the Crash the Pond podcast. It's a Monday, January 23rd edition of the podcast. And wouldn't you know it, the month of January is pretty much over. I mean, we've got one week left here. And then it's on to February, Jake. On to your birthday month. Your birth yeah. month. Great month. I uh, move the Outing mic you away. right away. Move the mic away slightly. For anyone out there, Felix's settings all got reset. So yeah, let us blame know. Blame the producer. Let let us know if anything sounds off, if anything's weird between any of the sounds or anything like that. We're trying to fix it on the fly here. Uh, so yeah, uh, but yeah, February is a great month, absolute great month. February sixth, yeah. Lucas Pont setting your mic is hot. So uh, yeah, back that thing away. I'll try to lower it and also see if that helps out a bunch. Uh, I'm far. I'm at my normal volume, but you know, fixing everything on the fly. Um, How's that? Uh, I think that's probably better. Uh, I'll adjust. But yeah, February 6th, great, great month. Or great, great wow, birthday. Just Adam Henrique. The, dropping the date, too. Adam Henrique. I, we said it last week with Adam Henrique. Jake just fishing for those happy birthdays. That's you know? Cool. Sometimes it's sometimes it's nice to get a compliment on your birthday, you know? Yeah. Have people reaching out saying happy birthday. It, it's a nice little... Nice little uh, I don't disagree. Yeah. Yeah. But, I don't disagree at all. Yeah, so we're almost through January. It, You know what's crazy? It's weird how fast this season feels like it's gone. Well, and yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's a normal thing, if that's uh, if this happens every year. But it hit me, I think, when we did our Patreon episode on the weekend. Yeah. And specifically when um, it came to my realization that Jason Magna's played 20-some-odd games. I think 20 games exactly for the Ducks. And to me, it feels like he's been with the Ducks for under 10 games. And that just goes to show how fast this season's gone. To me, it almost feels like Jamie Drysdale played more games for the Ducks this season than Jason Magna has. Yet, lo and behold, Jamie Drysdale did not even play 10 games. And Jason Magna's at double or in the 20s. So well, It's funny because I didn't even realize that Drysdale played that many games. If, yeah. It felt, felt like he played like a game or two and was gone, but he actually yeah. played eight games and yeah. they must've, they must not have been very memorable games because I don't remember them whatsoever. So yeah, you kind of gave it away there, but we did our, we did our player grades over the weekend. We did our halfway mark grades for every player. And uh, part of it was just me talking to myself for like 20 minutes. Cause Jake had to, had to leave on baby duty, but we got through it. And so today, we're just going to kind of go over what, what's happened here in the last week for the Ducks. There's been some fun developments despite this team, you know, still losing a healthy portion of games. I think the the biggest place to start, the only place to start, is that Trevor Zegers just had himself a fantastic week and is having himself a fantastic stretch of hockey. I mean, he has eight points in his last four games. He was named the third star of the week by the NHL. You know, this very prestigious honor, the stars yeah. of the week. Yep. But it just kind of shows that he's he's garnering some attention for the right reasons. And there's a lot to unpack there. But first and foremost, just, you know, your thoughts on, on number 11, the one they call Z. Well, I mean, shocker, right? We, we haven't gotten into this too much on this episode. But Trevor Zegers, I mean, the last game that we covered uh, last week was the Penguins game where Zegers was fantastic. That game happened, I think it was the night, and then we recorded the podcast right afterwards. And that was the first game he was back at center. Shocker, Trevor Zegers at center is one of a very dominant player. And also, 
Another thing that's a shocker, Ryan Strom on the wing with Trevor Zegers. Because what was the thing that I think a lot of people were told was that, um, or a lot of people were saying was that the reason why they wanted Strom with Zegers is Strom is a give-and-go player. I feel like I've heard that so many times now. And that's why he really thrived with uh, with Artemi Panarin in, in New York. And so kind of putting him with Trevor Zegers is kind of thinking of um, someone in that same vein, right? Of almost putting Trevor Zegers in the same vein as an Artemi Panarin. The issue there is that Zegers needs to be kind of at the center position to have a little bit more impact on the game. That's where he's at his best. And Strom, if he's going to be a give-and-go player, that's more so suited for a wing. And then you also have the other part of it where you took Frank Vitrano finally off of uh, Ryan Strom's line. And it just really all worked together. Max Comtois, I think, had himself a great week. And so to kind of get back to like your your original question, which was about Trevor Zegers, he was fantastic this week. He was probably he was obviously the best best ducks forward, and I think that's not only from um, the perspective of just from a box score perspective, but also from an on ice perspective. He was one of the best ducks on the team this week, and I mean, look no further than the the midday game on Saturday where he was just absolutely dominant against the Buffalo Sabres. Like that was a game where, quite frankly, he had two goals. He could have had a third easily if Ryan Strom hadn't fought behind the play. And granted, it was saved, but there could have been follow-up attempts, yada, yada, yada. But, I mean, this is a guy that has been, I mean, you look at outside of the Philly game, which the Ducks were just absolutely horrible in that Philly game, right? He's put up 52% expected goals, 4% against Pittsburgh. 59.83 expected goals, 4% against Columbus. 52.49 expected goals, 4% against Buffalo. Like, this is a Ducks team that is not good at 5-on-5. Like, make no bones about it. You, you don't say 38, 38% is bad at XG percentage and three out of four games. Trevor Zegers was at 50 over, over 50% on the game. Like that's extremely good for the Stucks team, especially when you look at it in relation to the rest of the team. And so not only was this a week where you can look at the production and say, wow, this was fantastic. But there's also the, the on ice metrics, which go along with that, right? That, that is a very nice meshing of the eye test and the numbers, right? Where, from an eye test perspective, you see Trevor Zegers. You look at how impactful he is. You look at all of the plays he made throughout the week. And it also really bears itself out that he was constantly pushing the play. And I think one thing that was I mentioned on last week's show was the defensive play, I think, was something that was so pertinent this week. And just how good he was at limiting other teams' chances against in, in these games. I mean, you look at these games and expected goals against were relatively low when he was on the ice outside of, like I said, the Philly game where kind of the entire team was atrocious, but under one expected goal against the entire uh, week and pushing one expected goals for in almost every single game. So this was a good week for the ducks, a good week for Trevor Zegers. Um, and yeah, so overall good times, good times in Duckland with Trevor Zegers. Yeah. I think that what's really exciting about this recent hot stretch for Trevor Zegers is that, some of the best moments we've seen of him this season have come off of his playmaking and off of his passing ability. And that's well and good. That's that's really important that he's got to be able to to assert that that main talent of his in the NHL. And he has. But recently and particularly, I mean, against Buffalo, Buffalo's the Buffalo game was a great example. Uh, you saw just how much his shot has also come along and how he's he's finding different ways to get that shot off and to get into dangerous positions. I think that one of the biggest underrated facets of shooting in the NHL that people just routinely overlook is that it's not just about how well you can pick corners, how hard you can shoot, how strong you are, because really 
most guys in the NHL can shoot it really hard. If you watch, if you go to an NHL warm-up in person, the fourth liners are ringing it off the crossbar. And, and I mean, they're shooting harder than anything you've ever seen. It's how well can you get into dangerous positions? How well can you get into those positions routinely? And I thought that the the first goal that Zegra scored against Buffalo, you could say this isn't the most dangerous shot. I mean, it's a, it's a dead angle shot, but the accuracy that he showed pinpoint upstairs at a very severe angle, that's an impressive in and of itself. But what intrigued me even more about that play wasn't so much the shot itself. It's the fact that we've seen Trevor Zegers a lot of the times when he's entering the offensive zone. He, I don't want to say he tries to do it all on his own, but he's had this bad habit where maybe he stops skating or he tries to use his hands to create an opportunity. And on this play, instead of trying to, again, be the one-man show, which I'm not saying Keyes does all the time, but it's 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 been an issue for him here and there. He does a nice little give-and-go play with Max Contois. He just dishes it off gets behind the defender, and he kind of recognizes all this in real time. And that allows him to get in all alone on the goalie and roof it. And I think that the, the, the skill that everyone will take away from that is the shot. But what I love to see on that play is just that that little recognition that, hey, I can get into that spot much easier by using my teammates and by exploiting what the, what well, the other team is giving me. And here's the other thing about that first goal, right? That really comes to mind because he kind of comes down the wing and ends up beating uh, Uko Pekalukunen short side high, right? Yep. And catches him kind of leaning off the post. And here's what's so special about that play. And we talk about this a lot with Trevor Zegers, right? Is that he just really has a really great ability at kind of putting out misdirection, uh, throwing out a whole lot of misinformation when he's on the ice. And by doing that, he's... Uh, He's really keeping defenders on their toes, keeping uh, goalies on their toes. And so when you have a guy like Trevor Zegers who's able to do that, if you watch that play, he's not really looking at the goal when he shoots it, right? He's kind of looking across the ice. And that makes uh, Pekka Lukanen have to respect the pass. Mm -hmm. And the defender's the same way. And that buys himself space. And he's able to shoot the puck there, make a no-look shot, and beat him short side high. And that space is there because of that misinformation that he's throwing out there. And so that's one of the things that we talk a lot about with Trevor Zegers is the deception within his game. He may not be the fastest skater. He's obviously not the biggest body. He is a good stick handler, but I don't think anyone would say he's one of the best stick handlers in the league, right? Oh, I would say that. Okay. I I would say that. Okay. I mean, have you seen his shootout attempts? That's fair, but I'm more... Okay, fair. I'm more so saying the biggest aspect of his game, though, is the mis- uh, misinformation, the deception yeah, that he fair. has within his game, and that allows him to pull off those moves. It's not just the fact that he has the quickest hands in the league. Let's go with that, sorry, for, for stick handling purposes. He's not the quickest hands in the league. He uses deception to be able to mo- make the moves. And this is another prime example of that, of just the amount of information that he's throwing out there and ends up making the right play. We talked about it uh, with the Penguins game kind of ad nauseum last week, right, and how he kind of is is taking all of the information in, sending out a bunch of different information while doing that, and then tries to make the best play available. And in that game, it ended up not working out because Fowler's puck stick wasn't on the ice, but the short side was covered. Uh, Casey Smith covered that well on that two-on-one in overtime. Whereas in this game, he kind of does that same thing, sends out all that misinformation, and instead of the goaltender really moving with him and not giving him space, the goalie gives him that space and he's able to take it. And so... It's not only doing that, but also understanding the situation and understanding what's being given to you 
and using it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you can say the same thing about the second goal that he scored. I think a lot of people would see this goal where he comes in into the slot and has a ton of space and just rifles at home as, oh, well, that's an easy goal to score, right? And, and it is true that he had a lot of time and space to do it. But like you were just alluding to with the, the quick hands, it's not just about the actual attribute or the specific situation. It's how you then leverage that to, to gain an advantage. And on this play, the second goal of the night for Zegers, 17th goal of the season, it's a similar deal where, first off, a great play by Max Comtois, where he drives to the net and actually... Has, he got, has Comtois got enough credit over this stretch for how well he's been playing? We'll we'll get into that. Yep. We'll get into that. Because I think some people owe apologies to, to one Max Comtois, to, to the one they call Calmer. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I just love that, that John Aller's line. Um, I'm going to keep using it. Sorry, Johnny. Okay, so... Contois drives to the net, and this creates the middle lane for Zegers to then exploit because the defender for Buffalo has to respect that that net drive. He can't just completely back off of Contois, but then he gets stuck in no man's land where then Zegers is all alone in the slot. And Zegers recognizes this, recognizes the kind of peril that Buffalo's defender is in, and, and uses that time, uses that space to really pick his corner, to really set up his shot, and... Again, Uko Pekka, Lukanen, I hope I said that right. Yeah, I, I was just taking a shot there. It always feels like right. you're just kind of spinning the spinning the wheel a little bit when you say that name. But yep, yep. He comes in and, and, and finishes off the play. And again, it, it's one of those things where you see other teams, other players get great scenarios, get great opportunities, and they just can't find a way to finish it off. And and Seagrass is doing it here. Of course, there is a bit of resulting here. He's he's converting on a lot of chances, you know, his shooting percentage is, is riding high, but in all of these plays, you can suss out something that shows that his process is there and that th this isn't just a fluke necessarily. Um, also, by the way, Simon Benoit is just, I guess, on a on a little bit of a hot streak as well. On, on, on a scoring binge? Do you owe him an apology? Value? Upping his trade value? <laughs> it, does anyone want to trade for Simon Benoit? You know, if he keeps scoring like this, maybe. I ask this with all due respect. And then also going back to the Blue Jackets game, another game where, where Trevor Zegras scores in. And again, we see him use that shot. And I think that this one, maybe there's an argument that it's a little bit of a softer goal. I mean, he gets the pocket, the blue line, just walks it in because there's absolutely no defensive pressure. And I believe it goes off of the goalie's glove. I don't know if it was Merzlikens. But it's a, it's just another one of those scenarios, though, where Zegras sees all the space and time that's available to him and capitalizes on it. I mean, how many times have I said on this show, railing against a guy, getting it at the blue line with time and space and just firing it on net, just kind of blindly spamming a point shot. Here again, Zegers just uses what's given to him. And it turns out that when you get a dangerous shot off, you're opening yourself up to good things happening. And that's once again, what happened here. And that was against Columbus. Yeah. So that that's just what you love to see is that every kind of all these little scenarios for Zegras, he's making the right decision on them. And now he's getting rewarded. And it's not as if this is like some new thing that's happening. I mean, Zegras has been playing well all season, but now I think he's just getting the credit for it finally. Yeah. And I, I think kind of people out there wondering, how are we so positive and cheery right now? And I think. At the end of the day, with this Ducks team, there's obviously going to be negatives to dwell on within every single game 
within every single piece of every game or every week, things like that. I think right now it's time to really just focus on some of the fun things that are happening, though. And I think that... Well, well what is this duck season about now? Yeah, this duck season is essentially about this. It's about finding the positives in these games, even if they're losing. Like, that game against Buffalo is honestly a perfect game from my perspective of yeah. the Ducks lose, so they kind of help their Bedard race situation. Yeah. And they play a really high-tempo up-and-back game where Trevor Zegers looks fantastic, high-scoring, entertaining game. Like, give me that type of game every single time, and I'm content the rest of the season, even if the Ducks were to lose every game. That at least shows that they're kind of out there. They're really trying to at least put the, make an impact on the game. And not only that, but the shackles in some ways are off a Trevor Zegers that yeah. just go out there and play the game that you want to play. And one other thing we'll get to come to in a minute. I want to mention this, though. Isaac Lundestrom returned to the lineup. Yeah. And he actually played really well. We've been two people that have been really critical of Isaac Lundestrom. This year, he has not been very good. Last year, depends on where you look, but uh, some people would say he had a great season because of production, but the on-ice metrics were pretty poor last year for him. And one of the things that we talked about a lot with Isaac Lundestrom, right, was the fact that he was really good at entering the zone with possession, transmitting or transferring the puck from the defensive zone to the offensive zone. But really, once he got into the offensive zone, the puck kind of died on his stick. Nothing happened. He wasn't really able to make anything happen with with it there. It would just kind of he would lose it in the corner, kind of maybe go around the net, not really do anything with it. And I think what we've seen from him over these last couple of games is maybe it's simply that the game against Columbus playing with Trevor, uh, Troy Terry and Adam and Reek. But he was more That'll so distributing. Help. He was distributing the puck quicker once he he got the puck in the offensive zone. I think there was a game, uh, a play in the Buffalo game where he got it down low, and instead of just taking like a wild shot on net or going around the back of the net and kind of circling with it with a very European style, he actually made a really nice pass through a couple people to I forget who he was able to find, but to create a, a pretty good scoring opportunity for the Ducks. And that's what you want to see from Isaac Lundestrom there is, is be able to create the offense because if he can add that aspect to his game, he's actually going to be a very good center for this team, lower in the lineup type of yeah. center, but one that can really be a good lower in the lineup center for a good team. And so I think it's going to be fascinating to watch in the rest of the year because I think we're as dumb as it sounds for a guy his age, but we're getting into make or break territory for Isaac Lundestrom and from an on ice impact perspective, because this is a guy that's, I mean, the Ducks have McTavish. The Ducks have Zegers. There's a chance that they end up with Connor Bedard. Well, Where I mean, is, they, they, what if, I mean, even if they get anywhere in the top three, they're probably going to draft a center. Yeah. So where does Isaac Lundestrom end up in this mix? And I think that this is going to be a really interesting final stretch of the season for him to see where he can end up within that yeah, mix. He's, he's going to be 24 in November. So, okay. He's. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I thought he was still twenty two, but he's twenty three then. Yeah, he's well. I mean, that actually helps what you're what you're saying. I think like that yeah. that actually bolsters your argument. I mean, yeah, he had a really nice feed on a goal from Max Jones, which I think is also good to see Max Jones get rewarded. Um, but all in all, I think that just to kind of circle back to the Trevor Zegers point, though, I think that the the other biggest takeaway from Zegers playing this well is that he's. I think finally on a line that makes like outside of, of course, centering Troy Terry and Adam Henrique. Yeah. That's the only, like the, the Henrique Terry Zegers line is I think the best, I guess, environment that Trevor Zegers has been in thus far as a duck. But I think that the environment he's in now is probably the, the next best. If you 
I don't know if you really want to count the Contois Terry line from a few years ago, but now he's got Ryan Strom on his wing. And again, this was a move that Dallas Higgins was very hesitant to make. I mean, it took it took almost over half the season for us to get to this point. But finally, you have Strom in a position where he doesn't have to be that main distributor. He can kind of feed off of, of Zegers, and you've, and you've seen it already in the games they've played together. And then for Max Contois, this is exactly the kind of spot you want to see Max Contois in, a spot where he's not the main guy. He's got playmakers that he can work off of. I think that Max Contois is good at reading off of playmakers. That's probably his one of his best attributes as, a, as an offensive player, and it's worked. I mean, if you look at the numbers for this line, they're not they're not amazing, right? I mean, they're they're below break even. They're at forty nine point eight shot attempt percentage, forty nine point seven expected goals percentage. But as we talked about earlier, on a team that's historically bad, being that close to break even, and you know they've only played forty five minutes together at five on five, like th- this is this is really an encouraging start for those three. And it, and I think that that just that all feeds into how good Zegers has been that he's in a he's in a good situation. Yeah, and kind of to that point, I was just curious while you're talking because I think it's always interesting when things pop in the head as someone's having a conversation, be able to look up some stuff. I was I went to Natural Statrix line tools because Max Comtois this season has kind of been thrown all around, right? But he's someone that really it seems like when he's been with Trevor Zegers has really been able to thrive. And so here are the with or without you numbers for Trevor for Max Comtois with Trevor Zegers and without. With Trevor Zegras in, let's see, 112 minutes. So, small sample size, not huge there. But he has a 48.34 expected goals for percentage, uh, 49.5% uh, scoring chance for percentage, 50% Corsi for percentage. Without Trevor Zegras, Max Comtois has a 40% Corsi for percentage, a 33% expected goals for percentage, and a 35% scoring tra- chance for percentage. Which, like, some of that is obviously going to be built up by playing with the Trevor Zegers because Zegers without Comtois is pretty close to his normal amount. A little bit lower at uh, 44% expected goals for versus 48 with Comtois. But it's quite clear that Comtois really thrives from playing with Trevor Zegers. I don't think you can really just simply say, oh, he's playing with a guy like Zegers, so that's going to improve his on-ice metrics. I think some of it has to come from Comtois also really reading the game and being put in a position where he can play better. And so I think that that's pretty fascinating to see those. It, it, the splits are pretty distinct there between the two. Yeah. I just think that with a guy like Contois, you cannot put him on a line with an Isaac Lindstrom and Jakob Silverberg and expect him to thrive. He is a very weird player where I think that you're going to get the most out of him when he's playing with other good players. But on the flip side, if he's not playing with other good players, he's not going to do a whole lot to elevate that line. And and it, it might sound obvious, but I do think that there are players, like let's say an Isaac Lindstrom, where maybe Lindstrom not the best example, but there are guys where you can put them with other skilled players and they might not actually see this big uptick in their game. So, I think I think Coltois does have that. And I think he it also helps his line mates when he's in that situation. So I went back even further, actually. Uh, so with Natural Statric, you can take the from date further back. So I took it back to the 2020-2021 season. Um, which would have been the first season of Trevor Zegers, where you remember the end of the season, they had Colm Twan align with him kind of here and there also last year. So in 303 minutes combined over that span of three seasons, they have a uh, 51% expected goals for percentage together. 
Yeah. And then in the 1,500 minutes of Comtois without him, he's sitting at a 44% expected goals for percentage. Wow. So it, it's quite clear that he plays better with Trevor Zegers. And quite frankly, Zegers plays better with Comtois also, actually. Zegers goes from a 48.7% to 51%. Sample size is obviously a big thing there. You're talking about 300 minutes versus 1,700 and 1,500 minutes. So there, there can be some sample size baked into that that could be throwing that off a little bit. But it still is kind of interesting to see that why were, why was this not done earlier? Because we've seen Comtois really thrive with him. This is someone that I think really should be looking at playing in those situations. And it's just another, I think, knock in some ways on the coaching staff of not being able to put together the correct line combinations. And especially in a season like this to take so long to be able to do something like this. But to their credit, they've now done it and it's working. Well, I think we know the reason. It's because if you look back to Dallas Aiken's comments, I think back to last preseason, which is maybe too deep of a cut, but he yeah. just didn't he didn't trust those guys together defensively. I think they got scored on a bunch in, in preseason last Yeah, that's year. right. That's right. And that just kinda that that kind of did it for that line. And you hear Dallas Higgins talk about Trevor Zegers now, and and he said that Trevor Zegers has come along tremendously from a defensive perspective, which man, I I honestly don't know if we've ever heard Dallas Aikens actually speak that uh glowingly. That, that glowingly, yes, and and really give that much praise to Aikens or to to Zegers about his defensive game. And this is the this is the quote, by the way. Um, this is Joe Yurden, who covers the Sabers, tweeted this out. Said uh, about Zegers, his play is greatly improving. Always, he's obviously an offensive threat all the time. He's gotten much better defensively and managing the puck, and his growth continues. There's still a long way to go there. And to me. That is a perfect encapsulation of Trevor Zegers at this very point in time. He's an offensive threat. He's his weaknesses are getting shored up, but you still feel like there's so much more that he can that he can do and that he can get to. Yeah. So, and but I think that that but to to explain why I think Contois is on that line now, I think part of it is because Dallas Higgins trusts Trevor Zegers more. And, yeah, that's fair. And I think that what's kind of sad is that he probably should have trusted him a lot sooner. But yep. also that now we're getting we're getting the good lines. We're getting Dallas Higgins trusting Trevor Zegers, and uh, that may have cost. I mean, I don't. I'm not saying that would that cost Dallas Higgins his job, but he may not get to see the other side of it. The the, the oh, fruits of all this. I thought you were going the other side of it that it may cost them Connor Bedard. No, no. I, I what would the Ducks have to do to to, to fall out of that race? I mean, it's I, feels impossible. Yeah. Yeah, I think no matter what, they're going to have good odds for that. I'm trying to see. Calgary took the lead on Columbus in the going into the third period. So uh, there may go that. But the Ducks by points percentage, I think, have the best odds right now. I think if the Ducks the if if the Ducks get the third overall pick, I'll be very curious to see what they do. I think Actually, they go with Benson. Well, I, I think that if they get the third overall pick and Fantilli goes second, yeah. Which seems, which by the way, Bob McKenzie's uh, rankings came out today, mm-hmm. which maybe we'll get questions about that. Who knows? But I just don't think there's any way that they draft uh, Matt Michkov. I just don't no. see that happening. I mean, it's more likely now than it was two years ago. Yes, but I just, I just look at the timeline for Michkov and are you willing to wait? What is it? Three years? Maybe more? Yeah. It's just as for a team that's this bad 
and that that that's feels like they really need a, a shot in the arm after what's been a dreadful four going on five year stretch. I think that you need to to get someone who's going to come in sooner, and I, I think that's why if they go if they land at three, that it'll probably be Leo Carlson. So it's probably Carlson. Benson's been I know rising the mid, the yeah, the but list. Benson at least on the consensus, which you know always be a little wary of the yeah. consensus, but he's in the second tier. Fair. After that top four. I think I instant for a quick second forgot about Carlson, which is why I said Benson goes third. But yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, I, I just feel like I've heard a lot about Benson lately and him rising high quickly. I mean, he's great. He, I mean, Bob McKenzie has him fourth and yep. or sorry, has him fifth. And to have him fifth as a five nine winger, that means he's playing really well. Yep. So we 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 always root for our short kings here. Yep. All right. So I think it's uh, time for a word from our sponsor. So, breaking news, everyone. Manscaped now sells beard products. That's right. They are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with the brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. From a beard trim to a fresh shave, the technology behind the Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shape your signature beard look. Now you can finally use Manscaped's products to make your drapes match your carpet by going to manscaped.com and using code CTP for 20% off and free shipping. It's time to tame your mane. No one likes a weird beard, so say goodbye to all your stubble trouble with Manscaped's Pro Beard Kit. It all starts with the Beard Hedger. This thing is the juggernaut of fixing faces. First off, this cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. That's right, the face groomer doesn't need to be hard, uh, or face grooming doesn't need to be hard. Get 20 different beard lengths in just one guard. Plus, it's waterproof, so you can shave uh, in the shower to avoid all that hair in the sink. The titanium-coated T-blade is tough on hair, but smooth on your face, leading to single-stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time. The Pro Kit doesn't uh, end there, though. They have created four dermatologist-tested formulations for your post-trim care. First, there's the beard shampoo and conditioner. You need to uh, remember all your hair is different. Your beard hair is more coarse and easier to damage than the hair on your head. That's why the kit has made shampoo and conditioner specially designed to moisturize, reduce ingrown hairs, replace natural oils, and promote beard health. Next, the kit has Manscaped's beard oil, an essential piece for your main facial accessory. No one wants a guy whose beard is brittle and dry. The oil relieves dryness both on the beard and the skin beneath while adding a little shimmer and shine, making you look extra fine and cap off the ex- the kit with the beard balm a pomade that shapes styles moisturizes and tames for a sculpted look to attract any fellows or dames the pro beard kit also comes with free three free gifts a beard brush comb and scissors to ensure your beard is ready to impress so get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code ctp at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code ctp Manscaped Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. Perfect. Yeah. Excited okay. to try out try out the product. Excited yeah. to, to use the beard trimmer. It's going to be great. All Everything from Manscaped is great. Uh, are you going to use the beard oil? Maybe. We'll see. I'm uh, I'm, I'm curious. I've never used a beard oil. so this... Got to shampoo that face. This... <laughs> yeah. There you go. Let's go with that. Okay. Uh, anything else from this past week? Because I think we kind of covered the, you kn- the the biggest biggest pointers here. Yeah, you know what we never talked about in the last two episodes? Hmm. 
Troy Terry's an all-star. That's right. Well, it feels it feels like it did get swept under the rug a little bit. But yes, Troy Terry is an all-star. But I think the biggest takeaway from that, though, is uh, is what you're wearing right now. You oh, are, yeah. You are wearing a Western Conference all-star jersey. Should I stand up and model you it? Should, you, should show, you should model for the people. Yeah. Look at that. Those are really nice. I got to say, I know that maybe the, the Miami Vice colors are not everyone's cup of tea. But they are they are perfect, and the fact that they they went with the most popular All Star jerseys ever, maybe the was it a ninety four All Star game something yeah. like that. It's just perfect. It's so it's so rare for an All Star jersey to be actually good, and yeah, here and we the are. fact that the crest is so nice, the Western with the orange logo, like yeah. it's just it's so good. It's so nice. The only bummer that I have is I went for a blank because the uh, getting Terry on it would have taken until late March. Not willing to, to wait? Not willing to wait when it was an early birthday present. Oh, and there it is. Yeah, and wouldn't have been would have been here like a month and a half after my birthday. Can't wait. Yeah. So uh decided to wear it on the podcast though. Did Troy did Trevor Zegers get snubbed? At the time of voting, no. Uh right now, maybe. Well, Trevor Zegers is now the Ducks point leader. So yeah. I mean the thing that we should maybe touch on a little bit is that Troy Terry is going through a slump, yep. and I th- and I think for the this is probably his first slump since before last year, yep. where he's really just not finding the back of the net. The points aren't really trickling in. So, are you concerned? Is there is there cause for concern here with with Troy Terry? No, I'm not really concerned at all. I think you look at some of the numbers, right? You look at I think uh, I forgot who put it out, but he has one of the lowest uh or one of the worst uh goals scored versus expected totals right now which to me shows that there is a little bit of negative or negative regression in here right now in terms of where he was at last year kind of the how high he was shooting you're gonna have this come into play but on the flip side of that he is still getting really good looks it's not as if this is coming because he's just not getting chances they're just not going in right now and that's gonna happen like there's going to be these stretches and we there's going to be this regression to the mean. And at some point in time, there's going to be the regression to the other way where he's going to get on a hot streak and he's going to end up scoring more goals. Like he he has an individual expected goal total this season of 20.77. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and, and I think that that kind of just shows you that the, the process in his game from a shooting scoring standpoint doesn't seem to be compromised. No. And so, I mean, you look at his, I'm just right now looking at the last couple of seasons. Yeah. He's actually getting more expected goals per 60 this season than he did last season. The, the main difference is he's shooting 8.9% on ninth in as compared to 19.27. How much, how much of this do you attribute to him playing with Mason McTavish instead of Trevor Zegers? Um, I think there's I, definitely I, I, something I, I, that you could yeah. some takeaway that you could have there. I, I think it would be hard for me to necessarily in such a small sample size say that's the reason he's not scoring. I think I'm more so willing to chalk it up to variance than I am to say this is the exact reason for it. Especially when Troy Terry's a guy that a decent amount of his goals, right, come on him getting his own shot. You you look at you think about the the toe drag to the middle using that guy's try the defender's triangle to be able to shoot and everything that comes with that and he's still getting those shots they're just either he's slightly missing or he's um 
he's slightly missing or the goalie's making a good save or, or things like that. And so actually I'm curious, I was curious. And so I was looking right now. So his Fenwick shooting percentage, which for those that don't know is un, instead of just looking at shots on goal, looking at unblocked shot, uh, shot attempts. So anything that just goes towards the net and is not blocked where your shooting percentage is at. And so last year he had a 14% Fenwick shooting percentage. His expected Fenwick shooting percentage was 9.9%. This season, his expected Fenwick shooting percentage, 9.8%. Um, yeah. And his Fenwick shooting percentage, though, this season, 566 it, it so, just it, it just seems like there isn't this referendum to be had on Troy Terry. No. Like, did he score more than he should have last year? Yes. Is he scoring less than he should this year? Yes. Like, exactly. that, that to me is where this is at. And... Yep. I, I think that the the good news, I think, if you want to look for one, is that his assists, his both his primary assists and secondary assists per 60 minutes is up this season, even if his goal scoring is down. So last season, and this is in all situations. Yeah, he, he's on pace for way more assists this year. Yeah, and, and so that was what we talked about, right, was that his shooting percentage would probably come down, but his on-ice shooting percentage – for, uh, would go up eventually, be, and his teammates would eventually score more goals and yet all that stuff, and he would get assists off of it. And that's what we're seeing, right? He's Even if he's not scoring goals, he's still getting assists. And so it, it's... He, he's, I, on, he, he's on pace for 66 points. He had 67 last year. Yeah. And that and that's with a scoring slump that's that's been going on for a while now. Yeah, like picture if he was shooting where he was expected to be shooting at. It's this funny week, how this math is just so predictable i don't want yeah. to say predictable but just like it it, it doesn't well, feel surprising this is why looking at all these numbers is so important right because it really kind of can tell you oh this guy's not scoring because it's just pure variance and it's gonna come back to the mean and it's really Wait, nothing what to if, worry about at all what if troy terry's confidence has gone down oh my god could it be his confidence oh, i don't think anyone's actually saying this but it's just i don't because last like, year last year that's what all you heard when he was going well was oh it's the confidence yeah I don't, I don't think he's lost any confidence this year. That's for sure. No, it, he's an it's not that at all. And so, yeah, it, it's just frustrating with that. But, yeah, I mean, his – funny enough, the on-ice shooting percentage also this season with him on the ice is actually lower than it is last year. And so wow. last year was at 12.2% on-ice shooting percentage, and that was with his 19% or something like that shooting percentage. This year it's down to 10.3. So if that can just get back up to 12, which is – are like expected on a shooting percentage for a first liner for mm -hmm. an on ice shooting percentage. So that's him plus all of his line mates. Like this would be a very good season from a production standpoint for him. And yeah. so like, yeah, I mean, he, he's I, on I'm pace not concerned. For, he's on pace for 15 more assists than last year. So yeah. I just, I, I also don't think he's necessarily getting it being put in a spot to score on the power play from a goals perspective. Well, okay. So, that's something that I want to, well, I don't know if we should spend a ton of time on it, but I, do we know what his best spot is in the power play? Because I feel like we we don't really. No, I feel but, like he, but I feel like he's not he's really been, being used in a way to, to score right now, though. Yeah, I mean, he's on the top unit. I mean, he's, he's playing, you know, close to the net. I just, Troy Terry has played almost every spot on the power play except for the point. And, and this is going back years now. This isn't just this season. And it just seems like they've really got this this connection down pat with McTavish and, yeah. and Zegris. And fitting Terry into that has been a challenge because I think that Terry's 
probably at his best on the right side. And I just think that right now it's an awkward fit. And so that's kind of where I'm getting at, right? Is yes, he's on the top unit, but it doesn't feel like they are ever working for a shot from him. Right? It doesn't feel like that they're ever, it's never, and, and not saying that it should be all the time, but it's never getting a look for for Terrier, putting him in a, essentially feeding him a spot in a dangerous position. It feels like every single power play setup is specifically meant to get Mason McTavish that one timer. Like that feels like what they're working for almost every single time. And instead you have this guy who's right. One of the, was one of the best goal scorers in the league last year. Um, is but wasn't, that's a it wasn't lo- really a power play threat though. No eight goals. And so that's where I'm wondering if that is, to me, that's the extra piece here, right? Where you could get some additional production out of him. And now, granted, he has six power play assists this season. He had seven all of last season. Um, but it just feels like they could really work different looks into that first well, unit. I, I think I think that one, as this power play matures, because right now, if it's really comical. If you look at their heat map on HockeyViz, mm-hmm. it's just this giant blob on the right side. Yeah, because that was where Zegris would always take the one-timers, and now that's where McTavish is always taking the one But I think that as this power play matures, and the nice thing is, I mean, some pieces are going to move around a little bit, but Terry, McTavish, and Zegris are going to be there for years. Yeah. And I think that as it matures, and particularly as McTavish gets more experience, I could really see him developing that that Kucherov kind of one-touch pass into the middle. Yeah. Where everyone sees the one timer coming, mm-hmm. but how can he work off of that to create opportunities? And I think that that's something that I'm sure that maybe they're even talking to him about now is, hey, you don't always have to blast this thing. You can use that threat to to open other things up, and and that'll come with time. I mean, this is this is a developing situation, but that's the thing with Terry is that he does not have this kind of power play baseline of production to fall back on when things dry I think up. Maybe looking at him in the bumper position would be interesting for that exact reason of what you're saying of getting that one touch past him from a McTavish. He's in that well, bumper I, position. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I like the idea of him being below the goal line because he can drive to the front of the net when the puck's given to him, but we just haven't seen that necessarily been a look that they're working for ever. And I think that if you have him there and if he's below the goal line, you're not necessarily ever working for that. He's just kind of in a weird position where he's not really involved contributing. Yeah. Well, contributing a whole lot to the play. And so it's just an odd position overall, I think. I agree. And I think that Adam Henrique is the bumper and it makes sense. Adam Henrique is, is a good fit for that, but it yeah. just, it just doesn't feel like Terry has really a role on this power play. And well, especially with Troy Terry know. being a right hand shot, right. And being in that bumper position, if the puck's going to a Mason McTavish a bunch, that's an easy, quick pass to, to Troy Terry who can one-time it from the bumper, right? Well, what I would love to see, I mean, because I, I just, I think Troy Terry's at his best on the right side. I think that's where he's the most dangerous, but that's not going to happen on the first unit because that's McTavish's spot. What I would love to see is is Terry at the point. Just just give him the keys at the point. <laughs> go five go, forwards? Go five forwards. Who cares? Why not? Who, who gives a shit, honestly? Yeah. Uh, so give, give me Terry at the point because I actually think that then he has all this kind of room to work with, and maybe it, maybe it negates some of his kind of touch around the net, but we just haven't really seen that materialize. So switch it up. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything else from the past week that you want to talk about? Hmm. Let's see. Well, do we, I, do we, do we want to touch the Bruce Boudreau situation? I was gonna say. I was gonna say. I mean, there's there's. I think people are probably gonna ask questions about this. 
Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll just preempt it by saying no, I don't think Bruce Boudreaux is coming back to Anaheim, at least not this season. We'll see about next year. But really just a big shout out to Bruce Boudreaux because... One of the it best just, human beings. One of the hockey. best human beings. And I was listening to 32 Thoughts today, the podcast. And yeah. it is just stark to think about that he's been in pro hockey for 50 years. Yep. I mean, he is the definition of a lifer. And yet it's so interesting because I think that he doesn't carry himself like that. He just seems so down to earth and, and yeah. so open to new things. And I think it's very telling the fact that the Vancouver crowd and the players and the fact that everyone was so behind him, I I, I just don't think that happens by accident. That, when, like you you don't see you that. Ever, when have you ever seen that with a coach on like getting? You, you, you don't see it. No, because anytime a coach is about to get fired, it's always the fans calling for his head. Like yeah. when has it ever been a situation like this where a guy is getting cheered by the fans and getting chanted for by the fans? in what everyone knows is going to be his last game coaching this team. And he's about to get fired and you have the fan base saying that and all the players saying it and not saying like at the end of the day, Jim Rutherford, if they think that this is the right move to make their team better, which we could argue about that, but whatever, that's their prerogative. The issue here is how they've treated Bruce Boudreaux throughout all of this. Well, it's, it's the way it all shook out. Like yeah. just, if you've decided you're going to move on, just move on and have an interim head coach be the head coach. And I do think, though, it created this really interesting situation with all of that. And it sucks, though. It sucks to see that to see Bruce Boudreaux go through that. It sucks to, uh, I think, know, like, I don't know if you remember this at all, but Bruce Boudreaux actually went on a podcast, and I found it recently. About a year, It was about a year ago, before he was hired by Vancouver. And it was with John Shannon and I'm forgetting who else. And he was talking about actually his time in Anaheim briefly. And he was asked about specifically how he interacts with GMs and things like that. He's like, at the end of the day, the GM is the GM. And if they make the call on something, I got to go with it. And he's like, I think back to um, my time in Anaheim. And it was Tamu's last season. And Bob Murray tells me, um, you need to bench Tamu. If you don't, you're going to lose the room. And he and he was and Bob Murray basically said, like, take you don't have to take my advice, but this is what I think you should do. And basically, Bruce, like, OK, fine. Like, it's, it's your <laughs> imagine like your it's, boss telling you that, like, it's your call, like more or less, like not telling him that, like, you don't have you saying you don't have to do it. But at the end of the day, that means you have to do it. Right. One of those types yeah. of situations. Yeah. And so he benches him and Tamu comes to him and is pissed. And Bruce says it was my lineup decisions are my decisions and kind of took the fall for it. And, or no, I don't know if he took the fall for it or whatever, but Tamu went to Bob Murray and Bob threw Bruce under the bus and said, lineup decisions are coaching decisions. Yeah. And you just have those types of things and understanding what he's gone through. And the fact that he still has the passion and the love for the game of hockey that he does and I know he may most likely is not going to be the Ducks head coach again, but I think I'm appreciative that he was the head coach of this team and that he's going to be intertwined with this franchise forever as a result of that, because of, I think how good of a human being he is. Well, I just think look at where the Ducks were before they hired Bruce Boudreaux and look at kind of how things have gone since. I mean, I'm not saying that this is like a perfect argument, but... 
he was at the helm of a very successful period and the most the most successful extended stretch for the ducks in their history and save you know one kind of last gasp by randy carlisle it's been downhill since which i would argue was a bruce boudreau team anyways yeah yeah i i think that it's it's hard to really separate things out when it's when it's that when it's when that it's close that one season afterwards and it's still a lot of the same guys a lot of the same systems a lot of everything i mean i distinct i distinctly remember the day bruce boudreau was fired i was still in college and i remember thinking and i remember i wrote an article at the hockey writers i forgot what the, the title was but it was basically like the ducks made a massive mistake yeah. like this like this is a franchise altering mistake and was I completely right about it? Maybe, maybe not, but because the Ducks did make a conference final after. But, I mean, it's it hasn't been pretty since, and I think that they had the roster to still be good for a little while after yeah. that. Yeah, so, and, and yeah, Bruce Boudreaux was such so, a good So if he ever, let's say that he did become the Ducks head coach again. I, yeah. I personally, you know, as, as great as I think as he is, I... I don't love the fit as much because I just, I mean, we have no idea like where, what this Ducks team is going to look like next season. Yeah. And I just, even from Boudreaux's standpoint, I would prefer to see him go to a team that can actually win the Stanley cup. But also I just, I think that for the Ducks, they need some newer blood. They need someone that's not a rehash. I mean, cause they've, they've done Ooh. that already. I have an idea right now for let, let's end the show with this and then we'll get to questions. This, okay. this is, uh, so I don't know if you saw this at all. I recently had Googled, um, head coaching vacancies or head coaching options, for NFL or NHL. And there was an article written by, uh, I believe it was Matt Larkin. Yeah. In November. Mm-hmm. And he put together a list of coaches. Mm-hmm. Let me run through them with you and let, let's see. Cause I think we're both pretty much, I feel like we're both pretty confident that Dallas Akins is not going to be the head coach next season. And hmm. are, are, are you on board with that? I don't idea? know. The, the, the stretch, the stretch of games. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Yes. So let's run through these and give me yes or no on them. Okay. Barry Trotz. No. Okay. Want to elaborate on any of this or just do yes or no? Well, I can give a quick thought. I mean, yeah, I just, too quick. I just, well, I don't think that he's, the right fit for this roster. Yep. Agree with that. Rick Tockett was on here, but now he's off the, the he's list. He's gone. Retreads. Elaine Vigno. I love Elaine Vigno. I think he's a great coach, but again, I just, I don't love the fit with this roster. Dave Tippett. I'm going same argument. <laughs> yep. Andrew Brunette. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. I would say yes. If I had to choose, I think that, the body of work is encouraging. He's a bit of an unknown, so there's potential there, but it could go either way, but I'm at least intrigued. Yeah, and I say yes also. I mean, the thing I think the Ducks need from this next coach is you don't want it to be a retread necessarily. You don't want it to be a completely old-school guy that's coming in again. But I think with the experience with Dallas Akins, you do need a guy with a little bit of a proven track record. I think Andrew Burnett kind of fits that mold. He, he's, he's a, a nice new, mix. Of, he's a of, new... Yeah, he's a newer school guy that has a bit of a track record to him um, of success. And so, sure, there is a risk, but it's less of a risk than some other guys. Yes. Um, Travis Green. No, I just don't know what Travis Green is good at as an NHL coach. Jeff Blaschel. No. You don't think that there could be a connection there with Pat Verbeek? 
There could be, and it's troubling. But I look at how the Red Wings, those Red Wings teams were under Blashill, and even before they got really bad, he just I never felt was this big value add to their to their team. So Todd Nelson. I mean, that's always been a popular kind of under the radar pick. And I'm just a little I guess I'm a little afraid of the AHL coach now because of yep. the Aiken situation, so I yep. would steer clear. Yep. Up and comers for summer 2023. Uh, Spencer Carberry got a 10, and I'll read the brilliant. So I know who he is. Okay, you do? Okay. So I've heard, I mean, Spencer Carberry seems like a really smart guy. And I think it's no accident that he was scooped up by a, a smart organization like the Maple Leafs. He's got a really strong track record in the AHL, and he's... I mean, he's he's part of a successful organization in Toronto right now. So that is actually a guy that I would be intrigued in. Yes. Ryan Warsofsky, Chicago Wolves head coach, led them to the, so eight, the I don't Calder know, Cup. I don't know if you saw this, but he took a puck off the face on, on the bench recently. Nope, I did not. And he came back into the game, came back to the bench with like oh, a... Oh, really? Yeah. So on that alone, it's a yes. The, uh, the, the grit. Nate Lehman. I feel like I've heard this name. Providence College was a coach for for World Juniors a bunch. Oh, that's TVSA. right. You know, I'm I'm intrigued by a college coach because of just the, the 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 fact that those teams those leagues just play a more modern game. Mm-hmm. So it's a yes. It's a yes for me. Chris Knobloch. <laughs> just for that I, name, I'm saying I, yes. I'm just going through this list and just gonna let you uh, swim a little bit here. Okay. Jay Leach. No. Extensive experience behind AHL. Do you know who he is? I know who he is. He played for okay. the Canadians. Okay. Is that Sharks. why? <laughs> he was okay. part of the he was part of a uh was it the he was part of some noteworthy trade. It might have been the um uh, never mind. This, Ryan, this is, Ryan, no one needs to hear this. Ryan Huska. Oh, isn't he? He interviewed for the Detroit job over the summer. He, uh, let's see, he's a new apprentice under Daryl Sutter at the. I'm intrigued. In I'm intrigued. I like how my answer, my my most common answer, has not been yes or no. For, well, for up up and comers, it's always I'm intrigued. I'm not intrigued in Chris Knobloch <laughs> or Jay Leach. So uh, Rocky Thompson. I'm not intrigued. I just okay. he seems like an older school type. Seth Appert. I don't know who that is at all. <laughs> like Don Granado is especially suited to mentor young players on a rebuilding squad. Appert, like Granado, has worked with the U.S. National Development Program under 18 okay. and now coaches the Buffalo Sabres AHL affiliate in Rochester while Granado handles the NHL club. I'm intrigued. If he's a Don Granado disciple, that, that intrigues me. Okay. Ian LaPerriere. Not intrigued. Okay. And now overdue list. <laughs> I won't okay. get to the other ones after this because it's Babcock and Quinville for too much baggage. And no, I'm not intrigued. Mike, <laughs> Mike no. Vellucci. Uh, let's see here. He, he has took a- the Charlotte Checkers to the Calder Cup. He's one of Mike Sullivan's assistants in Pittsburgh. Um, he interviewed for the Bu- Bruins coaching vacancy after they fired Cassidy and for the Flyers vacancy. Well, I think that there's something to be said for being an assistant to Mike Sullivan. So consider me mildly intrigued. Benoit grew. Uh, I just there. There's a there's a connection. I'm not intrigued because that means Bo grew is going to become the Ducks <laughs> first line center. 
well, in all seriousness, I mean, he's been, he's had a, he has a really good resume. A really, really good resume. He's been the Tampa Bay Lightning's AHL affiliate coach for forever, it feels like. And yeah. he's turned them into one of the, the better AHL teams in the league consistently and has been a huge person for developing the talent on the Lightning. Okay. And so you look at the connection there with Iserman and, and Verbeek and the fact of uh, well, Benoit Gru being the AHL coach. You also look years. at the fact that the Lightning have consistently just kind of gotten these guys out of thin air onto their onto their roster. And a lot of that has been the work that they've done in Syracuse. So that's kind of what the Ducks need, right? Yeah. You, you can't. I mean, it's going to help that they're going to draft someone in the top four, but I think the concern there is with with both of these guys is that the Ducks just had an AHL head coach. Well, okay, come up, but, but let's let's distinguish though that Dallas Aikens' track record in the AHL I don't think was as strong as as Benoit Gruz. That's fair. I thought the Tomor- Toronto Marlies were good under him, but I could be misremembering. That was a long time ago. Well, also, I mean, I, I guess Aikens wasn't purely AHL because he did coach in Edmonton. Yeah, we, we, but we forget the that. numbers in Edmonton were bad. And then the final one is uh, one that was actually brought up in our Twitch chat, which is why I didn't bring it, but Arrow Rez, shout out to you. Ricard Gronberg, he was, I think he was in the group interviewed when Aikens was hired, wasn't he? He was. He yeah. was. And, I mean, it, it's been rave reviews for him. He's coached the Swedish national team. He's coaching a top flight club in Switzerland right now, mm-hmm. which is a good league. I'm very intrigued because he's just kind of off the beaten path. I mean, I don't think we've ever seen a European coach in the NHL could could be getting that wrong. But I mean, if if there has been, there there hasn't been very many. Yes. Yeah. So I am I am intrigued, if not uh, titillated. Yep. Wow. Uh, Long-term sleeper, Jessica Campbell. In the past three seasons low, she's jumped from the Swedish League skating coach to German League assistant coach to AHL assistant coach. It might not be long before she's the first woman to earn a head coaching gig in the AHL, and the NHL will be the next logical step after that. So I don't think that would be a this summer thing, but keep an eye out. Yeah, I mean, man, I... Will we ever see a a woman be a head coach in, in any professional league? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I hope so. I think it would be cool, but I, think I just... I think it's coming. I think it's yeah. coming in. I think the NBA, you're going to see it. Isn't the the Spurs have that assistant coach that's really working well, She's coaching in the, the WNBA now. Oh, she did move she, to the WNBA? Yeah, but... but uh, I, I could see her working her way back, though. I mean, I'll just say this. I don't think I see hockey being the first one. No, so, I don't think so either. Because hockey doesn't even really have. Because I mean, even like in the NFL and baseball, you have female like assistant coaches, right? Or like skills coaches, position coaches. With hockey, you don't even have that at all, really. I mean, you well, have that, that. A, you have that a tiny bit. Well, that that's she's an AHL assistant coach now. Yeah. So I mean, that would be that would be a cool story. Maybe she becomes an NHL assistant next. Yeah. Yeah. So, Gromborg, Gromborg, Campbell. Yeah. Duo behind the bench. Yeah. So there you go. That that's this entire list that uh, I saw this week. I was like, yeah, let's go through. Okay, it. let me ask you this. This yeah. is the this is the final question. Okay, will, will the Ducks' next head coach be someone on this list or the field? Someone off this list? Someone from this? Say it's someone from this list. I'm going off the board. Wow. Someone uh, not on the list. <laughs> Jake Emmenhart YouTube chat says uh, Aikens fired from the Oilers next year. They draft McDavid. Uh, fired from the Ducks and we draft Bedard. Is, is Dallas Aikens uh, a generational talent magnet? 
I think one day we're going to be thanking Dallas Higgins for for giving us maybe, Connor Bedard. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe. All right. So let's get to questions from Discord. So for those of you who want to join our Discord, go to patreon.com slash crashpond where you can subscribe at the dollar tier, get access. You can get at the $5 tier, also get access and some additional stuff like bonus episodes. But uh, we have some questions from here that we'll start with. Then I've got stuff from Twitter. Then we'll come to Twitch and YouTube. So uh, Verde Bastard said... Is there hate the, a situ- hate the name change. <laughs> Is there ever a situation where a team shouldn't pick the best player available in the first round of the draft? For example, you're selecting fifth overall and the best player available is a winger. You're completely stacked with players that fill this, his role and are in dire need of a good defenseman. You can trade down a pick or two and get extra assets, but the team picking Sith six has made it known that it is going to pick the only good defenseman in the top 10. Would you still be better off taking the winger and flipping him um, or another winger for uh, and flipping him or another winger for a defenseman that may not be as good? That's a great question because I think that at the extremes, when you clearly are just well stocked at that position, is it, is it then justified to go and take someone for need? And I would still say no. Because you still just never know how guys are going to pan out. That's and I think, the key. And I and I think that you have to go off of who has the highest ceiling. And I think that really the, especially in the top five, you know, especially in the that that kind of higher range, I think you really need to focus on that the highest talent possible. I think as you like this, maybe this is hypocritical, but I think as you get down into the later first round. Maybe it's a little more justifiable to to go with well, it's more, more so of a, shots in the dark. When be, you get because at, at that point, the, the odds have really flattened out, and so everyone's kind of a shot in the dark anyway. So I think it's a little more justifiable to to take a guy who's best who's more of a need based over best player available. But that being said, the Ducks still should have drafted Arthur Kaliev over Braden Tracy. So oh yeah uh let's see he's all said also if jack copaco were stingray would he go out of his way to sing felix for all the unnecessary hate mr sicard throws his way have i thrown hate what what what's hateful about saying that he's an echler i think i was actually saying that about him before he became an echler i don't think he's even an echler this year isn't he playing in europe he is playing he is playing in the hockey alsvenskin so he's not even in the top league in in Sweden, he is in the second tier league. Wow, and he's got uh, 19 points in 28 games. You know, good for him. He's he's playing for the same team that I think Jacob Larson was playing on. Wow. So uh, Lewis X 209 said, "I think the best summertime beer is a nice, cold, crisp Coors Light. The taste is decent enough, and it goes down smoothly. A perfect backyard beer." With all that being said, why does Jake <laughs> shun the Coyotes for being bold and creative on their new alternate uniform? Yeah, I I, I want to hear this out loud. Okay. Uh, it's personal taste. I don't like it. I think that the crest is bad. I think the word, the word font logo is just... There's just not a lot of creative element to it. It's just spelling out Arizona. I think I like the idea of the striping, but I think the way it's executed... For those that don't know, look up the new Coyotes jersey. I think the way it's executed it almost looks sublimated to me. and almost It looks like a beer league jersey to me. And so that plus the stripes going up the side and the fact that they also remove the green, the green is, I think, such a necessary element of the current Coyotes jersey because it looks like the cactus on the desert sand. It just works so well. And when you remove that, you're missing a major piece there. And so while I don't think they're like horrible, I don't like them. 
I'm just going to say that everything you just said was wrong, and we'll move forward. Okay. I, I'm surprised that we agree on this jersey that I'm wearing, though. I'm surprised that you don't hate it. Why would I hate it? It's it's I, perfect. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know? The, the Coyotes jersey, to me, is a perfect alternate for what they have right now. Because they have the Kachinas. They have the really colorful Kachinas, so... This is kind I of a call, this is this is a callback to a previous look, but with a spin, I think it's just perfect. I would have preferred Curtis is saying I'm right on the zone of third. I think I still don't love the striping. I think I would have liked it better if they just would have done the coyote howling crest than this. That's fair. I think that the Arizona on the crest is just bad. Like it's I, not I, bad. Okay. It is, but whatever, you know, moving on. Uh, got some questions from some people, so let's see. Where did those go? Oh, they were in my DMs. That's where it was. Um, so we've got three of them right here. Sean uh, Seabolt said, question for the pod. If the Ducks trade Adam Henrique to the Devils, how could you make the money work? <laughs> didn't, we is... talk, we, didn't we talk about this the other week, I did think? Did we talk about the Devils, though? Yeah, we may I, have. Oh no, we talked about the Oilers. We we went extensively into the Oilers, we but did I don't go extensively into the Oilers. So the Devils have one point. Let's see, they have one point two, one point two million dollars of cap space, and that's with John Marino on. Oh, he's only on regular IR, so he'll come back. And so whatever, he, he it's not allowing him to go over. Bernier, it sounds like I would assume is done for the year if they have Blackwood and Vanacek. And that's just a, a salary cap dump. So, yeah, I mean, you could retain. I'm just trying to see who well, you could you take retain, back that, that's yeah. a bad money deal. I mean, it depends on if they're willing to get rid. Like, maybe they move out a Ryan Graves or someone like that. Would Not they, to the though? Ducks necessarily, but move him out to somewhere else and bring him, bring in an Adam, Adam Henrique. I mean, he's a UFA. So it's up to the like. Well, the, the hard thing for them is that they're in this w- interesting spot where they're really good right now, but they don't necessarily have to be all in for this season. So, no. and so I'm they, looking at their cap sheet and trying to figure out because yeah, it would be what two and a half mil. Yeah, I mean maybe if you get double retention, but it's hard to do double retention on a deal that has another year on it. Like yeah. That, like I don't think you can get the double retention because that means a team adds half that cap hit to their their cap sheet next season also, which I think is the the trouble here. And so I guess the the thing that I'm struggling with is I don't know necessarily who on the Devils they view as expendable or well, think, as a negative the, value. The, the other thing we need to think about is just if you want to trade him to the Devils, who do you who would you even want back? Right? Because it's one thing to move a guy like, sure, we could probably concoct a, a trade here, but there's something that you have to, that has to make it worth it for the party that's trading him out. And I don't know, like what, what is, what can Adam Henry get you from the devils that, that I think makes you get a first round pick. Yeah. I think you can maybe get two picks. Yeah. I think you well, could get two picks and you'd have to take money back. And so if I think that... you get a, you get a pick for Henry and you get a pick for the money. Maybe that you're taking back. How do they view Miles Wood? I guess. Well, does Miles Wood make sense for the Ducks? He's 27. No, but it, it, I'm. This is just purely trying to make the money work. Oh, okay, okay. Like you, that's the thing is you have to make the money. Can work. you that, can you get a prospect on top of a pick? How do they how do they view? Uh, 
a Shakir Muhammadulin. I don't know. I mean the the real thing, the real big thing at, at at play is though making the money work. Well, yeah, that's step one. But like also, you, but but the th- the thing is, I think if you're going to go through this whole analysis of the money work, like what's the prize on the other side? What are yeah. you trying to work? Well, towards? and so what I'm trying to figure out is what guys on their team would they consider as expendable talent that Adam Henrique upgrades on that they can get rid of? And I mean, maybe Thomas Tatar is that? I I don't know. Like, yeah, it it, a, it it's interesting. Yeah, it, it. I think that there's a deal to be had there. I guess the question is, and this might be a better one for someone that's covering the Devils in depth. So maybe we'll we'll reach well, out. Well, I think people. I think Tatara could be an interesting piece because he's got a pretty decent chunk of salary, and if the and if well, the, the Devils take Henrique, then they basically get another kind of Tatar like player, but they get an extra year that they have him for another year. And then the ducks could even go ahead and flip Tatar. That Well, yeah, immediately after retain on, on Tatar. I mean, yeah. miles wood is ma- getting, has 16 points in 45 games, uh, and is making 3.2 mil. So you could offset yeah. very quickly. Adam Henrique with miles wood. Like, cause the question is who do they consider as having more value to them? Thomas Pro- Tatar. Probably or- Tatar. Yeah. Probably so- Tatar. But Miles Wood is an assistant captain on the team, so who knows? There's a whole lot at play that we don't Eric know. The Maybe. problem is now you're getting into a lower cap hit, and but so you retain half. I mean, Eric Howell has four goals this year. True. I mean, so that could be let, it. let's say Howell is a, is a piece in there. I just think whoever, if you take back one of these UFAs or these pending UFAs for them, you immediately flip those guys too. Yeah, they never wear a Ducks jersey. Nope. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely part of it. So, so, so I, maybe I think the, there's a deal at play. Maybe that's the, the impetus for trading Henrik is that you get something from the Devils, and then on top of that, you get something for whoever you get back to make the money work. Yep, exactly. So, so it almost becomes like a double return. Yeah, and then Justin Beck said, question for the pod, how much does the offseason plan change, if any at all, if they win the draft lottery? I don't think that that really changes anything. I mean, if they, if they get... <laughs> If they get Connor Bedard, maybe they're slightly more aggressive in some of their moves. But I think at the, at the end of the day, almost no matter what the Ducks do this offseason, I feel like our timeline has shifted back a little bit where I still don't know if next year is the year that they make the playoffs. I think I think next year is going to be more of the year we expected this year. See, I've gotten... They have I've to rework people... the entire roster, basically. Yeah. And so, oh, I guess Bonnie just popped into the the Twitch chat saying uh, Columbus is tied now in the third Ooh. period, three three with uh, less than I think one minute in the period. And now we so, are all uh, Flames fans. Yeah, um, yeah. I've had some people ask me kind of where I'm at with the Ducks for next season, if they're a playoff team or not. And to be quite frank, I just don't know because there's too much unknown in the off season, right? There's well, the, like the, the entire next year's line- roster is completely up in the air. Yeah, so I, I think it's hard to make a prediction one way or the other. I will say this for anyone out there that wants to have a little bit of positivity. I think if Verbeek does make moves, this team could be in a spot to be in a make a playoff push next season. Could. Yeah, I, I could, think if they, could is key there. I think if they get Connor Bedard, because I think, like, who is going straight from the junior ranks, college, whatever, Europe, straight to the NHL out of this top group? I think all three of those those top guys. You think all three of them do? Yeah. Well, 
I think Connor Bedard is the only one who's like you can pencil in as having an immediate impact. I think the rest, it's just a little dicier. Yeah. So yeah, Columbus is going to overtime, by the way. So oh sweet. So now um, I think they're that's tied good with for the ducks, ducks and points. Tied with but, ducks and points. But the thing I'm just trying to say here is that maybe you get a little more aggressive. I'm just wondering what Pavarbeek thinks. Like what? What is? How is he going to pivot off of this season? Because it it feels like maybe they need one more year of not not saying like rebuilding, but just you don't go quite all in right away. Um, it would be nice to hear from Pat Verbeek again at some point. You know, mid season. Yeah, the, the the beaker. It, we haven't gotten a beaker since uh, late November, early December. Yeah, I think it I think it might be time, especially because he even said, "Oh, January, that's when I start evaluating or whatever." Yeah. Yeah, that's that's when young players hit their stride. All right, even Wilder Ring has a long one for us, and so okay. which one? Of, there's a lot of moves here. Which one of the five most? Which of the following moves are the five most responsible for where the Ducks are today? And so the way we'll do this. So, is so which say, one of the which one of the five following is most responsible? Which of the following are the five most responsible? So there are, there's so more than five. There's like twenty. <laughs> Okay. So you're going to say yes or no. If we hit five, I'm going to count on my hands. Then you're going to have to kick one of the fives out. Okay. Drafting Richie over Pasternak. That, that's a yes. That's a tough one, though, because no, like Pasternak was drafted. Okay, I'll go, I'll go no because we have 19 more of these to go through. Uh, drafting Jacob Larson. Mm, that should not be a death blow, so no. Signing Derek Grant. <laughs> Again, that shouldn't be this death knell, so no. Signing Corbinian Holzer. No, come on. Shea Theodoring. I'm going to go yes. That yes. one stings still. Not trading Josh Manson again, and also again, and once more. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with... How much more do they get if they trade him a year earlier? Significantly more. Okay, so I'll go Yes. Consistently playing Sam Steele. That that's kind of a yes. It's kind of a nah. I'm gonna go no because there's gonna okay. be bigger ones. Kid gloves on Terry. No, the damage was already done at that point. Buying out Corey Perry. I'm gonna say yes just just cause just to okay. be on brand. Uh, consistently playing Isaac Lundstrom. No. Breaking uh, Adam Henrique's Iron Man st- Iron Man streak. Uh, no. I forgot that happened. Signing DeLaurier. The Ducks didn't sign him, so I'm going to trade that. They, they traded for, for tra- him. Trading for DeLaurier. They traded a draft pick to get him. Yeah. But no. Trading Brandon Montour. You know what? I'm going to hindsight is 2020, and I'm saying yes. Trading Marcus Pedersen. Yes. Trading Daniel Sprong. No. Waving Christian Juice. No. <laughs> I like how we just went through that whole trade tree. <laughs> yep. Uh, kid, Man, kid, this, kid gloves. this person came prepared. Kid Gloves on Trevor Zegras. We already did that one. No, we did Terry. Oh. Oh, okay. You know, I'm going to go no, though. Okay. Ben Hutton, question mark. No. <laughs> ben Hutton? Even Ben Hutton's not wondering this. Losing Hayden Flurry. Mm. no no man who who asked this question we need to reach out to them this is like the I've, most... I've i've met him oh well i 
I met him at, at the Flyers game I went to. No, but like I didn't hear the name. It's yeah, Troy Terry, Troy Terry's confidence, aka at even Wilder Wing. Oh, okay, 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 gotcha, gotcha. Yes, okay. This uh, is a great. This is my favorite question we've had in a while. Bo grew fever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going yes. That 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 actually set this franchise back. Uh, I love just qual- I love just all these receipts. This is just not, like a receipt parade. Not qualifying, Sonny Milano. Yes, that 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 is okay. That was a mistake. We're, we're at five already. I think we're way over five. No, we're at five yeses. Or sorry, <laughs> we're at six yeses. I mean, so you got to kick one of the five previous ones out. Do you want to kick the buying out Perry? Well, who's like that, what, what's my six? R- read me my six. Not qualifying Milano, trading Pedersen, trading Montour, uh, buying out Perry, not trading Manson and Shea Theodoring. You know what? I'm going with not with the Montour trade. Okay. I'm keeping Corey Perry on there because you know what? You need you need leaders. Okay. You need Nathan, you need leaders. Look Nathan at what Corey Bo- Perry has done for the teams he's gone to. Nathan Bolu. <laughs> uh no, because at that point it's like, you know, the damage Wait, is well waving done. Waving Josh Mahura. <laughs> I just love that he's compiled everything we've complained about in this podcast yep, over the last yep, five years yep. or whatever it's been. Yep. Uh, uh, Jen and no. Casey saying, how did Juice get a shout out on this list and not her very best friend, Danton Heinen? Oh, that's a great question. But not, si- not qualifying Danton Heinen. Okay, I'll, so I'll, I'll do respect, but no. So your five are Shea Theodoring, not trading Josh Manson again and also again. Flames win. More. Sorry. Uh... Uh, then you had uh, buying out Perry, trading Pedersen, not qualifying Milano. There's your five. I feel very confident about that one. Okay. That was a fun I one. Mean, I mean, I think you could maybe flip the Milano one with the Montour one. Because if this blue line had Shea Theodore and Brandon Montour on it, they'd be a lot better. <laughs> All right. So I know I got another. That was fun. We got shout, another. Shout out to even Wilderwing for that question. That was, that was a lot of fun. I felt yeah. like I just. My life just flashed before my eyes with those. Yeah, and I know I got another question somewhere. I'm trying to find it really quickly. Uh, so bear with me really quickly here. Uh, we got this one, though, in our YouTube chat from Ray Gonzalez. Any chance of the video game mode power play going away, or is it here to say, uh, stay? I take a snack or bathroom breaks during power plays. The league must know how bad the feedback is. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know, but I was just watching the ESPN broadcast for that game. Blue Jackets, Flames, and they have the nameplates thing going on. Is this just an NHL thing overall? It's just, I think it is. I think it's like a league-wide thing, but it's bad. And I don't know what the, what's going on there. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know why they're doing it. it. It's just a really, really bad, bad look. Uh, Yeah, I think that is it then uh, for those questions. And uh, so we'll go to YouTube or Twitch. Um and so for those of you listening on your favorite podcast services, you can find us at twitch.tv slash or youtube.com slash where you can watch us live. We will go live typically on Mondays at 7 p.m. Today we went at 8 p.m. for various different reasons. If you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime sub each and every month. It does help out more than you can imagine. You can be just like uh, LewisX209 who resubbed and uh, Livenzy Life subbed also. Want to guess how many months Lou's been subscribed to us for? uh 
56. You're close. How much? 52. Wow. Nice. Thank you, Lou. And uh, and yeah, if you want to go like us, uh, like our channel on YouTube, like the video on YouTube, it does help out more than you can imagine. So uh, DB Lowry, 3507, came in late, but he's saying, question, don't know if you already answered, but do you all like the all-star uniforms? Jake is wearing one. Jake purchased one. I think the bigger question, because I think we both agree the Western Conference jersey is great, as Jake models the jersey, is the Eastern Conference one good? Yes, but not as good as the the West. I think that it could have been better, but it's still leaps and bounds better than anything they've put together. I'm I'm legitimately excited for the All Star Game just to see this, just just for the jersey. The novelty will wear off quickly. <laughs> oh, one hundred percent. But it's gonna be cool. Wait, what type? What color gloves are they gonna be wearing? Ooh. I want to see. Ooh, now I just thought about. I hope they don't do white pants. Hmm. I don't know. No white pants. Yeah, go pink pants. Yeah. Pink pants, pink helmets. Go, yeah. I mean, to be honest, it's probably just going to be black pants. Every year I watch the three on the, the All-Star game. The, recently, it's been three on three. And every year I ask myself, why am I doing this? And yet I still do it. I don't know why. Yep, such, is, know. such is life. Yep. You just keep coming back for more. And I think that's going to do it for tonight for us, unless you've got anything else. Uh, let's see. Do I have anything else? D.B. Lowry asked, what about signing Luke Shen? That's not how he worded it. But. <laughs> that, that was in regards to the, the bad decisions. I just love that. I that, Man, that was that was so good. Remember when Luke Shen was traded for Michael? Wasn't he traded for Michael Delzato or am I misremembering? I'm not looking this up. <laughs> I, I said I said I'm putting a moratorium on anything Michael Delzato. Will Michael Delzato be on the Ducks this season? I, I created a new tab and started typing and was like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not caving into the darkness. Will he be on the Ducks? I mean, if they trade Shattenkirk, Fowler, like whoever at the deadline, then maybe there's a chance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks have traded Michael Delzato. Uh, to the Anaheim Ducks in exchange for Luke Shen and a 2027th round pick. Who who did they draft with that pick? Or no, they. Who did they draft with that pick? I think Cap Friendly shows it if you look for it. They do. Luke Shen, Michael Delzato. Let's find out. Let's find. Oh, out. the trade history. Luke Shen trade history. Here we go. Uh, it became Victor Person. Oh, that's right. I remember that. I remember tweeting out his stats. And, you know, in hindsight, I'm like, wow, that was a just utter waste of time. He, he's currently playing in Liga and has three points in 24 games. Uh, Wait, are we talking about this Joel Pearson or Victor Pearson? Victor Pearson, not Joel Pearson. Oh, wow. Okay. Different different person. Different Sorry. person. Big uh, apology there to his family. But... uh. I don't know. I've got nothing to say there. Yeah, yeah, uh, okay. yeah. He, he finished his final season in the or he played in the WHL in twenty one twenty two, and had twenty nine points in sixty five games as a twenty as an overager. Wow. So I mean, I think the Ducks won that deal. Sure. <laughs> I mean, sure, <laughs> sure. If you can win any deal with those names involved, sure. Yeah. 
Okay. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. I think this might do it, but I've got a few bones to pick. Uh-oh. We're not, you're not done with me quite yet. Uh-oh. First off, I just want to give a, just kind of a cursory or whatever, not cursory, whatever. Shout out to the 49ers, my football team. On to the NFC Championship. Very exciting. But I want to air some grievances that have been found over the last few days in the uh, in the Discord food channel, our food and drink channel. Because is, there, the is the shit show portion of the show no longer finding random towns of Canada? It's now exposing people from our Discord. <laughs> well, I just want to say this, and and Lou will have my back on this, but oh, sauce, sauce as a whole, the the concept of sauce. The, the the actual sauce industry. Why are you the way you are? It's it's largely most sauces are unnecessary. Most Do you sauces not like are hot sauce. I like hot sauce, but it, but hot, I don't need hot it, sauce. Hot sauce is a sauce. Sure, but it, what I'm saying is it's not necessary. I don't need it. I could never have hot sauce again the rest of my life, and and I would I would thrive. I would be fine. The same can be said about like a lot like cheese. You could say that same thing about cheese. <laughs> you could say that same thing about like so many things. You know what my favorite thing is about scrolling back in our Discord food channel is just seeing things that I missed or that just didn't register enough with me at the time. This is a really good one from Jared. You know that meme where it's like no one. Dot dot. Absolutely well, no one. DB Lowry saying what about cheese sauce? No, hold on, hold on. So this one is no one. Dot dot. <laughs> Burger King commercials. Whopper, whopper, whopper. Wait, I don't know, remember the last time I would have seen a Burger King commercial. <sighs> no, well, if you watch the NFL, they're on like all the oh, time. That's so. why. Uh, yeah. Thoughts I, on I, cheese sauce? Why? You don't need that. You don't need what? that. What about nachos? Nachos are largely nasty. What about uh, pretzels? Pretzels are also largely nasty. Oh Unless man! Unless you T- get like a legit pretzel. T Balt's throwing in Watson Lake Yukon. I don't have this the new setup set up to be able to share my screen in that way. Well, I'll get it done soon so we can get back to that fun bit. I'm trying to find a bad Discord take before we peace out. I, Lou, is de- it, is- Lou, Lou definitely has one. Well, he he agreed with me on sauce, which isn't a bad take. So I have to scroll it, back further. It, it is a very bad take. Let's but see. Let's see if I on. can. Let's see if I can pull one out here before. Where do you stand on chorizo? It's You're fine. against chorizo. That's right. I'm not. I'm not against it. It's this is fine. what you said. I, this is what you said. I said at, I'm not the biggest chorizo person. Six thirty-three p.m. January twentieth. You said I'm not a huge chorizo person. Yeah. Exp- exposed. That's, I think it's fine. I'm just not a big chorizo person. I've exposed you. <laughs> oh, oh. Oh. I'm exposed. <laughs> Wow, got him. Okay. Uh, oh, man, I... best best type of potato. Oh. Oh no. <laughs> man, I have a bone to pick. This is a massive bone. This is like a, a mammoth, woolly mammoth bone. This is a T Rex bone. Can we just can we just like acknowledge the fact that mashed potatoes are just not that great? Like mashed potatoes, for whatever reason, happen to be, it seems like a majority of people's favorite type of potato. And yet, it's just, 
there's nothing great about it. It's just mash. It's just it's just gruel. It's it's just like baby I, food. Wait, now I'm wondering, have you ever like is all the mashed potatoes that you've had just simply potato and just someone mashed it? No, is I that mean, all it I've was? had I've had what would be considered good mashed potatoes. And I respect the craft and I respect people who make mashed potatoes and I've I've had good mashed potato experiences, but I just want to be very clear that I don't, I can't believe how many people think that's the best kind of potato or that's their favorite when there's so many better options. I mean, I don't think it's my favorite, but it's a very, very delicious option. See, people think I'm a picky eater because of this and yet I'm not. I'll still eat it. I'll still be courteous. I'll still smile. Mashed potatoes are good. The best form of potato, though, is a tater tot. A good not. We're not talking about the 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 cafeteria frozen potato tots because we say the same thing about French fries. Uh, a frozen French fry that you can get at the market or whatever is no. It, it's not going to be as good as like an In and Out fresh French fry. And I know that may be controversial because In and Out's French fries are for whatever reason controversial. They're good, um, but all tater tots are is just like a hash brown, chopped up potato fried, and when they're done well. Oh, that the just like oh, the warmness inside, the the texture inside, it's so good. Tater tots are just whatever. They're they're I mean, they're very forgettable. What's your thought on hash browns? Hash browns are great. Not I'm not like I'm more talking about like a hash brown patty, I guess, more so than like shredded potatoes and grilled. I'm thinking about like a McDonald's style, not necessarily that exact one, but that style of. Hash I just brown. don't think there's a scenario in which you can say that hash browns and tater tots are the same thing a mcdonald's hash brown is the same yeah thing but that's mcdonald's tot. i don't go to mcdonald's unless when i'm in a desperate situation and i'm have saying no like other, that no i'm saying that style of like hash brown patty oh this is the worst take this is the worst take not not what you just said but i found one in discord uh-oh this is from lou <laughs> you know i i appreciate lou at least having something for me to pull up here he said, <laughs> uh, "He said <laughs> this was after this was after a take that that had already gotten some some heavy pushback." <laughs> but this is this is how it goes. He said, "Here's another take. Since we're just firing takes today, all seafood is unnecessary. I've tried various forms of seafood, and I can tell you, it's just not good." And I feel like you might agree with that. That's what scares me about that. What was the take again? Sorry, I was looking something up. He said, I'll, I'll just reread it because it's just fun to read these messages. He said, here's another take since we're just firing takes today. All seafood is unnecessary. I've tried various forms of seafood and I can tell you it's just not good. Seafood's good. Okay. Wow. I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a fish person like straight fish, but shellfish I love. <laughs> you, uh, you pass the sanity test, even if yeah. your view on seafood is slightly flawed. I mean, whatever. At least you're not. At least you're not hanging out with Lou over there. Lobster, scallop, shrimp, clams, oysters. I I was. I think I was. I think this was during the big potato debate, and I had been on Lou's side. And then after he said that, I said, "And now I disassociate from Lou." (laughs) (laughs) His response: 
Were you ever associating with me in the first place? <laughs> Three reasons why seafood is necessary, and I might consider giving seafood For another crack anyone at Anyone that it. wants to join our Discord, this is legitimately part of what it's like. So if you enjoy this, join our Discord. <laughs> And, and yell at Lou. Lou is in our chat now asking, why am I being persecuted again? <laughs> Where did I lie? Uh, I Seafood is necessary. It's delicious. It's necessary. Uh, Yeah, you're getting a lot of hate. Curtis is saying Felix not respecting mashed potatoes is so out of pocket. I, I respect mashed potatoes. I just don't respect where people have them in the power rankings. They're way too high up. They're top five. Wedges are better. Wedges are not better. Fred, smashed potatoes are better. Like you know the ones where it's like they they're like flattened out. It's like a whole potato, but they flattened it out. What? This is a thing. What? Smashed potatoes. They're it's it's the most underrated form of potato. It is what? so delicious. Man, you just haven't lived if you haven't tried a smashed potato. Can everyone out there please agree with me that I have like the, a smashed potato is not a thing? It is like, a I thing. See, T- I see type a recipe. It Google. I see a recipe, but I'm just like this. No, what? It's a thing. They they serve it at restaurants. Crispy smashed potatoes, loaded smashed potatoes. Does anyone else, when they hear something, just like they think someone's just screwing with them, and that's what this feels like to me? It's because you're. Your like aperture, your your view of potatoes is just restricted. It's narrow, and what I'm doing here for you is I'm expanding it. I I I don't feel like I ever need to try a smashed potato. It's so good, you would love it. I'm good. I'm good. It's just a All potato right. <laughs> smashed. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And uh, and then what was the other type? Latkes are great. Go to any breakfast place. Ask them. Oh, also baked potatoes. Baked potatoes destroy mashed potatoes. Baked, pota- baked potatoes are so much better. You realize a baked potato is basically the same thing as a mashed potato, just not mashed and mixed, right? It's absolutely not the same thing. It's butter. It's sour. It's all the same shit as a regular. Where's the, where's pot- the skin? Where's the skin in a mashed, mashed- potato? Mashed potatoes can have skin in them. But is it in the same... It's not in its original form, like a baked potato. Now it's you're just, just... You're just wrong. All right. Take we should t- get out of here before I like try to strangle you through the through the camera. Okay. Well, if you've enjoyed this show, which I hope you have, especially if you've made it this far, here's a few easy ways for you to support us. So the number one way is to check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash crash the pond. You can pledge $1 a month and you get access to our patrons-only Discord server. It's a ton of fun. It's just a dollar. You get to connect with other diehard Ducks fans. It's absolutely worth it, especially as we approach the trade deadline. It's the best way to stay updated without having to go on Twitter. And as we approach draft season, it's also a lot of fun. So you can also pledge $5 a month and you get access to two bonus episodes. So we just did one over the season, over the weekend. It was uh, Ducks midseason player grades. We went over every single Ducks player. And as the season progresses, we also do league-wide episodes um, where we talk about different teams, where we, you know, did, who's the MVP, different questions like that. And it's also a little more unfiltered, so it's a lot of fun. That's all at patreon.com slash crash the pond. But if you don't want to pledge any money, that's totally understandable. Uh, you can still support us very easily. 
Just search us on Apple Podcasts, search Crash the Pond and leave a rating and a review. And if you leave a review, we'll read it on the show. And, you know, we have roughly, uh, what is it, 200 or so reviews, I think, on Apple, something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. And uh, we get, I mean, not this isn't meant to be a brag or anything like that, but we get far more listens than that on a weekly basis. So there's clearly people out there that, that do listen that have not left a review. So we would really appreciate if you did that. We'd love hearing from you guys. You can also find us on Spotify. You can leave a rating there. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash crash the pond. You can subscribe there and make sure to turn on the notifications and uh, check out the Sporting Tribune, thesportingtribune.com. We've got articles going up there, uh, trying to give you some good Ducks written content. And find us on Twitter. Really, Twitter is going to be a kind of one-stop shop for all of this. Uh, find Jake at ReindeerGames91. And I'm at Felix underscore Sicard. That is going to do it for the show tonight, everyone. Thank you for listening. I don't know what an Aussie potato is or Aussie fry. And we'll talk to you next time. Have a good one. Bye.